0: Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast, brought to you by Rocket Agency. I'm your host, James Lawrence. Welcome back to the Smarter Marketer podcast. I'm here today with a very special guest, the 2022 Australian Marketing Institute CMO of the year, Amy Engelman. Amy, welcome to the pod.
1: Thank you. Thanks so much for having me, James.
0: I'm I'm looking forward to this one. So Amy has done so much in her career. She's had a stellar in-house marketing career here in Australia. She's worked in CMO and Chief Revenue Officer roles in a range of organizations. She's also founded, scaled, and successfully exited two really, really successful businesses. She's hired and worked with hundreds of marketers in her career. She's a graduate of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, a fellow of the Australian Marketing Institute, and a certified practicing marketer. I just thought when it comes to career advice and what good marketers do and You know what, we've learned things we haven't done well, career advice. I thought of you, Amy. So, thanks for joining us and let's rip in. Great, cool. So, I thought just the logical place to start would be just your first few roles in the industry, kind of way back when.
1: Yeah, great question. So, I I started my early career in customer service and sales, which I think is an excellent platform for marketers because you're in front of the general public, you know, in sales roles, you're learning how to communicate to lots of different types of people. So... And selling and marketing, as we know, are so, so close. So, a few jobs in retail and service and then into my first marketing role, the blended sales marketing role, actually, in Canada when I took some time uh, in my 20s, early 20s, and was living in a gorgeous little town called Beth nice. And I worked in the sales and marketing department in the ski resort there, and that was my first kind of marketing, really, you know, core marketing role, marketing assistant type role really fun I actually got to travel with them as well and did some trade shows in America and back in New Zealand when I came back to Australia so that was um that was fantastic the second sort of big role where I started to really focus on marketing is my in my core career I went into Telstra as a graduate in my mid-20s so Mm -hmm. I went into the grad program a little bit late because I didn't come straight out of uni. Actually took 6 years to do my undergrad so <laughs> had a little while to finish that uh finish that undergrad and um, Telstra was a was a really really great landing because they had a developed grad program when you went in to to take you through different departments and then I ended up staying with them for 5 years yeah, in, nice. in various marketing roles so yeah.
0: was that were there other roles you're looking at at the time or was Telstra kind of the best, like, by clearly, like, by by a long way, the best offer on the table.
1: Yeah, it was the best offer. I before I um, went to them was actually with with Schweppes as a rep. Mm-hmm. So, I thought I might go into FMCG and when you go into FMCG, into marketing or brand or any of those sorts of roles, it's actually compulsory to, well, not compulsory, at the time, the way in which you got into the marketing department was actually doing a year on the road repping. Yeah, wow. So, I was a soft drink rep on the Gold Coast and I was slinging soft drink and talking to, you know, kebab shops about buying that extra, you know, extra box of Pepsi and yep. <laughs> like it was not the most glamorous <laughs> role and then at the same time, I was trying to get that leg out back into a grad program, a more structured grad program. And then when Telstra came up, I was like, all right, is it Telstra, is it Telco, or is it FMCG? And do I really want to keep, you know, keep being on the road for for whatever time, an yeah. undefined amount of time before I got actually into the office, into a marketing assistant type job. And so that was the pivotal decision. But I did, I did in that early part, I had to move to Toowoomba, which was highly unappealing okay. in my mid twenties to move from Gold Coast Uh, I had to relocate to Toowoomba with Telstra for the first part of my grad program so I went to the country nice and yeah but it ended up being a really really good decision
0: that's right as these things often end up being right
1: absolutely I think it's
0: really interesting that the observation just around working in customer service and even then at Schweppes forcing their future marketers out there to actually deal with customers I think that's kind of a lesson for all of us all the time in marketing isn't it good marketing is about truly understanding the market and the customers and about them, not about us, right?
1: Yeah, and often it's so hard. The more you progress in your career, it's it's harder and harder to, you know, to get close to the customer, which is why there's a big market research industry and all the tools that we have now to help us with that. But it is it is really hard. The further that you go in your career, you kind of get boxed in in the office, and yeah, yeah you have to kind of make that time. Be like, all right, I'm going to go out with the sales force, or I'm going to, you know, get this piece of research done, or make sure I go to that event, or whatever that is, to get back in front.
0: What advice would you have to young marketers in terms of that first role or those first few roles, like looking back on your career and what you've achieved and you've also worked with lots of really awesome marketers in your time, right? Like what are those kind of key wow. key traits of good first roles?
1: The first thing I would say is don't stress out too much about and don't rush and worry too much about what your first couple of roles are. And I think I felt that in my 20s. I was like, oh, I have to you know, have, have this perfect pathway you know, post-uni or whatever to, to get into marketing. And I think just letting go of that, you know, is the first piece of advice I would have. The second is to, you know, if you can follow your passion, so find something that you're interested in, maybe even if just a part of a company that you find interesting or, you know, because passion obviously, you know, then fuels your education and your love of what you do. And, yeah. and it doesn't become a, a love, it's a passion. I would also say really early in my career, I wish I got closer to the numbers earlier. So numbers, not just on like effectiveness of the campaign and conversion rates and those sorts of things. Back in the day, it was, you know, it was things like doing a lot of outbound telemarketing, direct markets it was before digital marketing <laughs> is showing my age there. But yeah, getting close to the numbers and like really understanding the numbers, because I think one of the challenges in any career, but particularly in marketing, you have to be able to prove what success looks like, Right. And so as you're dealing with senior stakeholders and and if you want to continue to progress and be the best that you can, you have to show proof and that proof is commercial proof. It's really understanding attribution, understanding ROI and being able to get on top of commercial discussions versus, you know, like maybe the brand discussion or the impression discussion and really understanding ROI and attribution. So That would be my, or one of my pieces of advice would be to really understand the numbers, but the numbers in the context of that wider commercial discussion that's happening at that next couple of levels up. Because you can imagine if you you come out with some of those insights that's backed by data, you know, you might be quite junior. People are going, wow, you know, so and really understands what's going on. They've got high business acumen. And the, the other one is is we've touched on like how do you get close to the customer? So how do you get those insights about what's landing and what's not? How do you be take initiative to go, you know what, I would actually like to do a secondment in sales for a period of time. Mm. Or, hey, I'm in a comms role. Now I want to go and work in product. Can I go and work in product for six months? Could I could I do that? And just suggesting that within the organisation that you're in. Yeah. Depending on the size, that may not always be that easy. But just thinking about, how can you widen in your early part of your career that knowledge and not get too single-focused? Yeah. You know, for example, in my early career, I, I had the opportunity to work in products. I was a product manager for some time. You know, I about pricing and pricing models. And was that at,
0: at, at Telstra in that role? At Telstra,
1: yeah. yeah. So you, you then understand, well, how, how do the finance stakeholders think about watching this product and what's important to them and, you know, what's their lens and moving between those different departments or functions, I think if you can do that in your early career is super, super important.
0: Yeah. And I think even a practical takeaway, if listeners are in smaller organizations, still trying to take practical steps to achieve those things, you know, if it is embedding with, you know, the BDM, if it's not a team for, you know, a day a month or a day a week or whatever it might be, but it's still kind of trying to get exposed to things that are a bit broader than just the marketing yeah. function.
1: Yeah, even finance, you know, if yeah. there's a finance stakeholder saying, hey, look, you're probably doing a monthly review on finance, do you mind if I tag along? You know, I'd love to learn the way that you assess how the business is performing. Yeah, just getting exposure to that any which way you can.
0: The senior marketers that I've come across over the years, the ones that seem to kind of progress most and have the respect of the wider organisation are those that can elevate the conversation to talk numbers, P&L, market, not just talk about metrics and CPCs and ROAS and those types of things you kind of need to obviously understand both but you kind of will get pigeonholed and not taken that seriously if you can't kind of expand that conversation up and into the the conversations more broadly around the business right
1: I agree 100
0: so that role at Telstra so what else did you get exposed to at it like you were there for five years was it is that right
1: Yeah, lots of things. So like competitive intelligence, so doing research on competitors and intel, pricing, business planning, a lot on kind of the sales structures. So at the time they're now called kind of SDRs, you know, what were those sorts of roles over the phone roles like, like running smaller Sales teams as a blend to to a marketing role, so more like a commercial, like commercial manager, legal and compliance. So understanding how marketing has to blend and take into consideration, you know, how you make claims and how you talk about pricing, branding. So working within a brand architecture that is both national and it can be product and segment orientated as well. So that was really interesting. I was having having brand conversations around you know, the master brand and then how we might want to utilize it in a particular area for, for a product. So that was amazing. And then just like the absolute craziness of launching new products. So in, in Telstra ADSL kind of came out at the time and yeah. we were migrating people from dial-up to ADSL and just like the managing, working with the agency, managing the marketing effort, particularly the marketing communications effort around product launchers yeah it was it was good times very busy stressful at points but just just really helped round out that kind of baseline understanding so that I was fortunate enough when I left that to to take more like a marketing a junior marketing director role yeah. in a smaller company because I had that breadth so yeah when I left I could I could roll all the that experience up into taking more ownership for a marketing function in its entirety.
0: Yeah, as you kind of as you were talking, it's exactly what I was thinking. It's it's such a good breeding ground, I guess, in terms of just getting exposed to all of those different individual components. Where I think a lot of young marketers might sit pretty siloed in in one or two of those, depending on the where they're at.
1: Yeah, yeah. So that breaks. And, and then being able to kind of step from a large to small organisation, then you have that whole step change as well. But it gives you the ability to potentially apply for those roles where you have a bit more autonomy and a bit more responsibility. But then, you know, different challenges as you move from big to small. Yeah.
0: And was because I, I was curious to chat with you around how you picked your roles and have they all been very organised and structured? And, you know, I want to work in a big organisation, I want to work small. and, you know, I've done some B2C stuff and now I want to do B2B. Like and the advice, I'd like to hear your story and then also just your, I guess, experience share for, for listeners that might have only been exposed to one particular type of marketing, like what it takes to kind of, I guess, the why of also having kind of that well-rounded career.
1: Yeah, so the first the first part was some of it structured and deliberate. Yes, some of it was. but Some of it was out of the blue. Like I was made redundant in a marketing role that Um, that wasn't by
0: design (laughs) yeah that
1: one wasn't by design um 29 i was like oh my god of course you take that sort of stuff so personally you're like oh but it was amongst a you know the company was was not in a great financial position they had to make the hard decision to let some stuff go and i'd only been there eight months and i was like oh my god this is going to be disastrous yeah i had a mortgage at the time i just moved into an apartment i was like oh my god the sky is falling and you know that was a good opportunity to just grab a contract role and then think about what I what I did next so no not all of it was by design but I was a little bit deliberate in shipping industries and that's one of the things that I really enjoyed so I I enjoyed kind of understanding the challenge of the market and the customers and then kind of lifting that knowledge and putting that into a different market or a different segment and I think the thing that I've also Is I actually do like change. Mm. So, uh, you know, for me, I couldn't sit in a role for more than, you know, maybe a year and a half to two years would be max. And then I'd be kind of looking around for where else could I could I go across, or did I need to jump to another industry, or or take another challenge, or go start a business, or whatever. So, I think the other thing that I learned early in my career is the power of networks. Because when I did have that situation where I was made redundant, I could actually pick up the phone and kind of call some of my former um former employers and say hey you know this has happened anyone got anything that can just tie me over till i work out what my next step is so that was super important too hopefully answers that question about was it was it kind of deliberate or yeah yeah for sure um, i think
0: a lot of the time it is both those things isn't it it's always hard to kind of know when when to move and what that next step might be and change is hard but often you kind of need that for growth right and to to round yourself out in terms of networking like has has that been a big part of your career to date and if so how have you done it
1: yeah I think it has and I'm not like super great at it like I don't make a huge effort to reach out to people that I haven't you know spoken to for years LinkedIn kind of helps with that that networking but I think one of the things that I have tried to develop over my career is that in any job I've gone into I've always Thought about not just how I enter that role and my effort and energy in there but also the way you leave is exceptionally important so you know one of those people when I've left a role or handed something over even when I exited my business and I you know I was in transition just the level of documentation and effort to hand over because people remember that they you know, they don't remember the Amy that was hired that came in and did that great job, they actually really remember it's that last couple of weeks. Or, mm. you know, how were you in that handover and how did you leave? And that's what stays with them. So, if you do ever have to, you know, call them again or you might need their help or their advice, that's what they remember. And then, I think the other thing is just because I believe a little bit in karma is when people have come to me over the years for help on things, I've just always, I've always been able to try and balance what I've got ongoing. On in my life to give them a hand with something. So, over the years, there's been young marketers who I've come across that I've just kept in contact with and have been in a pickle or needed some career advice, or, and just being able to give them a little bit of time because you yeah, have to live in council so all the whole of that kind of, <laughs> you know, it works works together yeah and then obviously industry like the Australian Marketing Institute I joined because in my you know in that first role in Telstra one of my managers had the certificate there of the certified practicing marketer and I was like wow what's that and you know she explained to me that there's an industry body and it, you know there's different training that's available and it, it's kind of like the certification for marketers and I, I jumped on that and I was like oh that's really interesting so you know that became a, an opportunity particularly my younger career to go to events you know, often it was funded by, you know, I didn't have to pay it out of pocket. It was funded by by the company I was working for at the time just to keep involved in talking to people in the industry, being a part of that. So that organisation, I think, has been key in kind of keeping the network alive. And agencies as well, I've worked with amazing people like yourself but over the years i've worked with with amazing leaders in agencies and other people working in agencies they do move around from from time to time the staff in agencies and yeah keeping in contact with them and yeah just keeping an eye on who's who and where they're moving to
0: i think they're really good practical bits of advice and definitely i think as an employer the the bit about how you leave your job just resonated so strongly, and like I think it goes without saying that you want to leave a job well, and that you know you don't put your feet up from the minute you give notice, and but just going that extra mile, and if you get stuck after I leave, feel free to give me a call and hear the handover notes, and it makes such a difference, and I definitely can think of past employees who I think it even strengthens that relationship, right? Like moving forward, you kind of you kind of morph from being that employer, employee, or colleague to kind of friend much easier, and all these things seem to come around like the Australian marketing community just isn't, it's not massive, right? So you kind of, no. and you should do it for the right reason anyway, but it's such a, um, it's a really, really good, good insight. Have you lent on mentors much in your career?
1: I have. I'll probably say my earliest mentor is actually my sister. So she's, Seven years older than me, she's had a, a brilliant career. Started in marketing and then went through into many roles, and is now a CEO of a um, ASX-listed company. And yeah, she's been she's kind of been my my closest mentor. Obviously, yeah. my bosses. Like I can still remember some of the things that my my first bosses in Telstra said to me on a day to day basis. On you know thinking about the customer, or, you know just sharing insights. So yes, absolutely. I think just just informally. course bosses have to be have to be mentors, but I think informally, you know, that's been a big, big part of my career. When I was running businesses, I also joined the actual formal mentoring structure. So I actually really committed for probably six years going to six weekly powwows with other business owners that actually mentor each other. And is in a in a kind of structured sense that's called the entrepreneurs organization. So I really invested heavily in that and in my own learning. I did a heap of events with, I went to like they call them universities, which are learning events. Also, usually overseas in a spectacular place where you want to go and and visit like Athens and Canada. And so I did, did a few trips like that, which were a mix of, you know, travel and education. So that was a really big part. I mean, now I'm still an active member obviously the Australian Marketing Institute, my boss at the moment. So my CEO that I report to is a, is a fantastic mentor. It's one of the things that I look for if I'm going to work for someone, like mm. what's their style? And when we first met and we we had lunch and we were talking about like what drives each other and, and he was really passionate about helping others and mentoring others. He's in that stage of that career where, you know, where that's a big focus for him, which is brilliant. Mm. I've done paid coaching. Just after I got married, I went through this, Period of demotivation, and I just didn't understand why. Um, and it was when I just started my marketing agency, and everything on paper was looking great. I had client work coming in every day, and it's profitable. And I just, I just really struggled with my motivation. I didn't know why. So I actually had a, a paid like life coach, I mean, not so much a business coach, but yeah. more working on like mindset and trying to really pull apart why my motivation was lacking and what was happening there when everything, you know, looked amazing on the outside with the business. So heavily invested in coaching and, and probably didn't pay coaching for, for almost that entire journey of that business, which was six years. Yeah. A really big mix of like formal mentoring, informal mentoring, investing in my own coaching, investing in my own mm. education. And then as I said, my, my sister, who's, who's still like the person when we catch up, we talk about what's happening in our work, and and I get advice from her on how to handle tricky things. It's mm. so a whole lot of different blended. You're
0: so you, like you're so open to it. Like you seem over the year, you've like you've achieved so much, right, in your career, but still open to learning and growth and getting experience from from other people. And I think it's such a valuable lesson for. All of us, regardless of whether we're, you know, a grad looking for that first role or whether you're, you know, moving through, you can just always learn from people. And I think it's interesting what you said before about how you've always been very open to people reaching out to you. And I think that's my experience in mentor mentees, right? Like, all you have to do is ask. Most people... Will be really generous with their time and experience if you kind of say how hey, you've been looking at you from afar or you've built this great career would you be open to you know meeting with me once a month or once every second month and just helping me through my career very rarely do you get shut down on that stuff right I
1: agree that's actually you know if i fast forward 10 years and i think about like what, what would i actually like to be doing when when i finish roles that start with a c <laughs> <laughs> um I would like that's my kind of ultimate goal is to to be able to form some some sort of earning potential but it's very much on mentoring and I'm not really sure where that'll end up yet because I've got a few years to formulate what that looks like but yeah when I when I fast forward 10 years of where I want to be that's where I'd like to dedicate the majority of my time.
0: You're currently in CRO roles but prior to that in between Telstra and whatever else, you you made the decision to jump into your own businesses. So I'd just be curious as to that journey and I think what you learnt from the other
1: side, I guess, just kind of being, you know, on the outside mm. looking in. I think one thing that, that firstly, what I think about that whole experience of, of running a business is to not be afraid to give it a crack. Timing is important, like understanding when you're at that time where you can kind of go, yep, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this risk because it is a risk. But I think the first thing is never hesitating if you feel like you've got a passion or an interest in in going down that path. It's definitely harder work than being an employee, but but has, you know, a different lens. And I think I became a much better marketer after running a business. And when I think about like
0: uh, what was the
1: look, it's just the business acumen, you know, when you're running a business, you're forced to understand how all of the pieces connect together. And in marketing, you don't often have that ability to really understand finance. Like, how do you read a PL and a balance sheet? Like, mm. you don't, no one teaches you that in marketing. You know, marketing departments don't really, you know, maybe the most senior person has got a budget that they have to work to. Often, marketers themselves, even senior marketers, don't know the difference between, you know, reading a balance sheet and a PL. Or could, could you take a balance sheet and a L and work out the cash flow, you know, for the upcoming six months? That's something that I think only business owners work out how to do. And so I think my my business acumen kind of changed as a result. And I think the other thing is when you run your own business, you're typically customer-facing for, for not always the good stuff but the tricky stuff. You know, you're the person who's ultimately responsible for solving bigger relationship issues, you know, that get escalated to you. And you have a team doing the day-to-day. You're the person that has to either step into break into a new relationship or fix a relationship. Yeah. And so I think the learning there is is just get to really hone your communication skills and your observation of how to navigate those situations because you just mm-hmm. get so much practice under pressure and you get to really understand like how is this customer thinking you feeling because it's you know it's your money and it's your effort that then, you know, results in mm. that relationship continuing or, or not. So, yeah, you have to hone those skills super, super well. And then when I've returned to a corporate career, I've just found that when I am in those more tricky situations with people in leadership or with my peers, I've not, particularly stressed about it I don't worry about it it doesn't yeah. like I can just kind of flow through it like oh yeah I've been been here before sort of thing so I hope that makes sense
0: yeah no it actually I think as a business owner it is such a different dynamic and as you were talking I was actually thinking it must have helped you come back into corporate life just in terms of having that kind of full 360 view for that period of your life now coming in and I'm sure you can better empathize with senior stakeholders and your CEO and whoever it might be just because you've had that experience yourself, yeah,
1: and kind of when you come full circle, you also sleep a lot better at night.
0: <laughs> so, if there's any uh, any businesses out there looking for a a middling marketer to join the ranks, I'm, I'll have to brush up on my brush up on my CV. I think I could do with some more sleep. I was I was curious, and it probably doesn't just relate to when you had your own business, but you've hired so many marketers over the years, right? both, I guess, as part of your own businesses, but then being marketing manager and CMO, what do you look for? And I'd just be curious, what do you look for on paper? And then what do you look for through that interview process?
1: Yeah, I'll tell you one thing I'm really brutal about on paper, which is, you know, as currently as as the last couple of months when I've been reviewing resumes, I don't see marketers, and this is at a, you know, not like entry level, like assistant, but anyone who's been in for one or two years. If I don't see KPIs, if I don't see numbers on the resume, I very rarely mm. progress it forward because if I can't see proof, so I also look for proof, like projects that have said, you know, like I was responsible for this project and this was the outcome. And even if it's for more junior marketers, it might be some outcomes that are more comms orientated. And that's okay as right. long as I see it. It's like this content yeah. went from here to here or optimised this landing page and went from here to here. I'm like, great, I can see that kind of focus on how they have connected what they're doing with the result and there's core numbers in there and then more senior you would be surprised how many senior resumes that i've looked at that don't have any sort of commercial reflection on the numbers mm. and i i don't I'm, like i said i'm pretty brutal i don't even pass them through the first the first stage another thing is cover letters i always ask someone to write a cover letter in a job ad and I say, you know, I touch on a couple of things, you know, of what we're looking for and then I say, you know, please respond with a cover letter, you know, addressing a couple of the, the key points of how, you know, value. And if I get a standard cover letter back where they haven't addressed anything in what I've written, I don't have ever progressive mm. them either. So, like, just simple things like that that help you understand, okay, someone actually taken the time? Have they read this? Have they, Have they thought about it? Have they taken the time to write back that's tailored? Yeah, the two very yeah. very early things that I just I'm just super brutal on.
0: And then what about once you actually get through to the the interview, kind of face to face or via Zoom? Like, what what are you? What yeah, are you so
1: for? I am definitely looking for an understanding of their own strengths and weaknesses. So I often ask like a great question I ask is like, tell me about your zone in marketing. Like, there's lots of things that you could you could be good at. What do you really love? Or I'd ask them about a project that they love, or I'd ask them about something that they're really proud of because I want to work out where they fit. You know, marketers can be so many different things. So I want to understand like, oh, they're, maybe they're talking about the brand, the connection to some research that they did, and then, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I'll be like, wow, they really love, really enjoy seeing this part of marketing. And someone else might come through and be like, oh, well, I optimized this 50 times. And, you know, I'll be like, wow, they're really strong on this part of marketing. That's what they love. So I'm trying to connect what my needs are at the time with what they love. Yeah. I try and find that person where I can really connect what I'm looking for in the team based on the other characteristics of the team and then try and slot them in. So if they're all-rounder, when I ask those questions, I'm looking for the things they talk about. There's a number of things that they're super excited about. If they're just, if I'm hiring for something more focused, I want to hear that they're deeply love that part of what I'm looking for so yeah I try and I don't necessarily grill them too much on their background and experience but I really want to get from them their understanding of what they love so that I can match that with exactly what I need in the team
0: and the candidate would have an idea presumably right that the role is a broad marketing role or it's specifically around brand or
1: performance yeah and that's another really really good uh good kind of segue is that I always take the discipline to create a full position description with a list of exactly what's expected in the role, including the time that they're likely to spend on things. And best practice is to actually present that as part of the interview process so that, you know, above and beyond a job ad, which just says this is kind of what the job is, you're very, very clearly identifying, and this is across all hiring, not just marketing hiring work, what are they actually activities that you're going to conduct? What's the time I expect you to spend on each of these activities? So it might say something about, like, you know, research. Well, is that like 90% of the time I spend or is that 10% of the time? So, mm. and again, working with some great mentors in, in HR and in recruitment, my early career, I've, I've understood how important that expectation discussion in the beginning is to make sure that the person and therefore their success in the role kind of pulls through so yeah i do spend a lot of time in that early discussion on expectations and being super clear putting it down in writing and presenting all of that
0: it's just so important isn't it for, for both parties there's no just no point jumping into a role without truly understanding it and there's also no point bringing a candidate in onboarding them and then you haven't told them that three days a week they're going to be doing something which is just not at all <laughs> what they're good at or what they're yeah. interested in and
1: it, And I also, you know, this sounds probably pretty obvious, but passion for people who have shown, you know, particularly as they go through their career, they they have shown that they can move between different products or industries. So I can see that they can use their skills and move or pivot. The key kind of things I look at.
0: I hate the term managing up, but what advice would you have for marketers working in organizations around how to play the game but do it in the right way like how to get that visibility in the organization actually generate the accolades for the work you are doing like how do you manage with your manager how do you manage with people you know above and adjacent like just i could talk about uh, this for hours
1: (laughs) I, i love this topic so i'll touch on a couple of things so one thing I always think of myself when I'm working with stakeholders and particularly who I report to is particularly at the top, it's lonely, right? It's lonely at the top. And what you find is that people always bring you problems, right? So they come to you to bring mm. you a problem that they need to solve. And what <laughs> I try and be, you know, to, to my CEO is I try and be the department of good news. So I always want to deliver some good news and it's usually data. Like I'll, I'll mm. bring him some data to say, hey, you know, I've been working on this initiative just wanted to show you some early indicators. This is what's happening. Be a bit of that department of of good news but backed up by by data. Lead indicators. So being able to constantly show how something's improving. So you might be chasing revenue. What's the lead indicator to revenue? It's leads or it's conversions or whatever that might be. So getting across all your lead indicators and being smart in when you choose to share those and how often you, you choose to share those. Now, there will always be problems, so you can't always be the department of good news. Sometimes you get to be the department of bad news or another mentor of mine used to call it, sometimes you've got to put the turd on the table. And when you put the turd on the table, that's okay. You need to do it. Communicate early and often if things are not going right, but try and go with options for yeah. solutions. So so never take a problem yeah. to your one-up or even you know, sideways by side years without maybe some options that you've reflected on. And if you can actually think about, what those options might be and present them in a really smart way and you're not excited I know know that you must feel this too because you know in a business you just want you just want the solutions you don't want the problems Hmm. so I think that's really important and then just FaceTime like sometimes people get busy so you need to also be quite forthcoming and saying look we need to catch up for a one-on-one so if you don't have regular one-on-ones you need to do that but when you have those one-on-ones you need to work out what are you going to say do so I just talk about the activity. Oh, I did this and I did this and I did this and it is, yeah, yeah. Like people are too busy to hear that. Bring the numbers to me. Here's the lead indicators on the projects I'm working on. This is going well mm. and this is because I'm seeing this data. This one hasn't moved yet. That's for this reason, but I'm onto it because I'm doing this. This is for this. This is for this. Think about it in advance. Prepare an agenda. Put the data in there. Screen share the data or bring it to, to your one-up when you're talking to them. Don't talk the whole meeting if you have half an hour. Get through what you need to get through in about 10 minutes and then say, you know, I've covered that. Is that what you need from me for this type of conversation? Was that information that you'd like to see? Mm. Yep, great. And then have 20 minutes to discuss whatever they want to discuss. You know, what else have Mm. you got on your list? Really thinking about using your boss's time or your peer's time really effectively, making sure that you get face time with them. So, you know, there are no surprises and they're up to date on your projects. Be exceptionally data-driven and preparing the data in advance and knowing your numbers, don't talk about activities, the detailed activities, unless they want to hear them because, you know, maybe you have a document they can self-serve that, like, you know, I have that, here's the whip. And then trying to be the Department of Good News and if you have to put the turn on the table, give options for solutions.
0: I think that, yeah, I love the Department of Good News but particularly the one around options. I think that's just what the best performing staff that I've had over the years would naturally do got a friend who has quite a big business and that's one of his thing is, I'm not paying you to tell me about problems, I'm telling you to bring me solutions. And As a manager, as an employer, just having staff that are proactive, because it shows that they're actually putting themselves in your shoes or they're trying to solve the business's problems. And probably comes a little bit back to your point earlier on around great marketers are understanding the numbers up here. They're not just dealing with marketing metrics. I think it is about that kind of where are we heading as a, as a business as opposed to what I'm doing down here in my yes. marketing function. It's really, really good. I mean, I've got three rapid-fire okay. questions to, to right. round out the pod. The first one is what's been the hardest lesson or biggest challenge you've had in your career?
1: Oh Biggest challenge? It was early in my career and this is when when I was just blindsided about being redundant. It was maybe not like the hardest challenge, but it was the thing that hit me. Adelaide Field and I was not prepared for because I had no understanding that that was happening. Mm. So maybe it wasn't the most challenging, but it hit me the hardest because I think I'm one of those people that like eyes wide open that things are not going to be perfect. That would yeah. be one. And then COVID, there's some staff that I worked with that were heavily affected by COVID in the Philippines and in particular a former staff member passed who I was very close to and helped build my business and that was probably mm. the most emotionally quite a challenging
0: Yeah Yeah. Well. That's horrible. The best career move or decision you've made?
1: Starting my own business was probably the best when I I stepped out and decided to start a a niche marketing agency and that then put me on the kind of entrepreneurship road for about 12 years. Mm. Yeah, so I think that was probably risky, fun, and that was probably the best.
0: That's really cool. And then the final one, because we, we normally finish the pod with what's the best piece of career advice you'd give to a marketer but the whole topic has been on this so I had to come up with a different final final one. It's not it's, it's, it's adjacent though What's the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: Wow well, oh, this this is what I remember a lot. Maybe not the best, but this is this is the one that's most memorable. I I went and saw a, an American speaker who his name was Mike Moses, and he spoke about out of zero and what his concept was was really around mindset, and it was around pushing your mindset to that next level. So he was talking about when you when you're setting your goals, out of zero. So if you're you know punching for ten million revenue, go for a hundred million, and work back from there, and put your mind into a position that you're, you don't have the limiting beliefs and I think mm. that for me rolls up into the whole mindset sort of concept What I think about all the time and I think about the limiting beliefs that maybe I might have about future performance that my team might have about future performance the way that you think within a construct of what you're planning now but if you add a zero to that how can you achieve way more than you know, than that kind of what you know now. And that's all I'm going to, you know, do or achieve. Mm. So, yeah, that's a bit of a mindset piece of advice that I, I remember frequently.
0: I love that one. Kind of similar to one, which is when you're trying to solve a problem, it's double the size of the problem and half the time that you have to solve it, just to kind of force that, <laughs> force the kind of bigger box thinking than just to kind of how do we, how, how might we just get there kind of thing. Love
1: that. Amy. Love
0: that. Thank you so much for coming onto the pod. So much awesome stuff to take away for listeners and thank you so much for your time oh,
1: it's been really really fun a uh, little bit of a trip down memory lane too which was great thanks for the opportunity james and before to uh, continuing to working with your your agency and, and yeah working with you.
0: thank you amy thanks for listening to the smarter marketer podcast stay up to date about new episodes on linkedin and instagram by searching for smarter marketer podcast you can purchase your own copy of Smarter Marketer via the Amazon website. And if you want a second opinion about your business's approach to digital marketing, send me an email, L at rocketagency.com.au or visit the rocketagency.com.au website. Thanks for your time.